0: Hi, I'm Daniel Barker, a.k.a. Damien Slash, a.k.a. Um, the PC Gamer, a.k.a. Antoine Speaks. I'm not sure about that one. I don't think that's low enough yet. i got to go a bit lower down with it. A.k.a. Antoine Speaks, a.k.a. a.k.a. The Banker and His Daily Life, Daily Work, a.k.a. Dogman or Bardock the Talking Goose, a.k.a. Gambling Joe, putting a ground down in and Andrew Murray, a.k.a. Brian from the Dogman series, a.k.a. Automated David. I also did a Kia advert recently, which was um, at Kia. We like to move to a different beat. AKA Pierce Brasnan. who's a bit similar to some of the other guys, but just sounds a bit Spanish. And this is my interview with Sarah Shulman from Comedy Bloggerty. And you can find my material at www.youtube.com forward slash Damien slash. The word slash, not the, um, not another slash.
1: So, Dan, how did you get into comedy?
0: Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me on the show and uh it's good to be here uh so how did i get into it um i've been doing it online um since about 2005. Uh, but i suppose i first actually got into the whole thing when i was at university in first year i had a terrible first year and i kind of locked myself in in a room in bristol and uh, kind of started going a bit mad really and uh, you know uh, recording myself uh, talking character and just going off on one you know, maybe getting drunk and talking for a long periods of time, and uh, and then I kind of like made some little story you know stories out of these characters, and I put them on myspace and um they went down really well, and you know nobody was doing anything on myspace at that point. Myspace was kind of just growing this was way before facebook, and uh, so I got quite a nice little following on there, I suppose that's how I kind of got into it because i I realized that people were actually responding to these. Little stories that I was creating, which I had been doing since I was a teenager. So um, that, that was it. Kind of, I kind of got the, the taste for it then. Even though I eventually gave it up for a couple of years later, um, that, was my, that was when I kind of got into the, the kind of relationship between uh, the comedian and the, and the audience. Comedian is a weird word. I think I prefer the, the term, um, you know, writer-performer.
1: And you've been writing since you were about fourteen, um, and then you were also acting in your own scenes. So, what was it that made you first want to start writing?
0: Um, uh, there was nothing that made me want to start doing it. I think it was—it's always been a part of my uh, personality. I've always recorded myself from the age of five or six. I've been recording myself speaking, and I, I very rarely actually write anything down. So, I've always—it's always been a part of my life to. Um, um, improvise into a microphone and listen to it back. I've always got a real, you know, innate kind of joy from that. And so, uh, everything I've done has been an extension of, of that kind of lifelong hobby. Uh, so it wasn't something I. It wasn't a conscious decision until I saw something like The Office, and I knew that that was. Uh, it was. It was something so beautiful to me that I, I had to. Um, it, it was. It was. I was inspired by it in a sense. I, I wanted to think about it. Uh, in terms of, you know, structure and planning and actually writing properly. But before that, it had always been a kind of natural thing.
1: And so you record into a microphone, you record your improvisation, and then you edit the text afterwards. But did you ever try other methods of writing as well? Or have you always just gone straight into the microphone and then editing the text after?
0: Well, uh, I've written plays and things. Um, uh, I did this whole kind of rural court, young playwright's experience. Uh, I wouldn't call it maybe not an experience, but a course, which led on to other things uh, and, you know, going into the whole playwriting world. And f- for that, obviously, I had to learn a lot of writing techniques in terms of um, character and uh, story and stuff like that. But I, n- I was never very good at the structural thing, but just the character thing. And so for, for writing those plays, I would s- sit down at a computer and kind of do a little bit of kind of under the voice kind of, you know, improvisation when I was doing the characters. But as i was writing uh so it's kind of it was kind of became a cross between actually physically writing the words out and testing them by saying them out loud and and, and writing creating something like that but uh i suppose the only other methods are literally sitting down and writing it in your head from in your head or doing it into a microphone and then writing it down or just doing it straight into the mic and i think um they're all the same i think i really do think that. i mean either you're writing on a piece of paper or you're saying it out loud
1: and it was on the royal court young writers program that you were uh that you wrote early bird
0: well researched
1: and in your analysis of early bird you said that you wanted the audience to say that um the dialogue was very believable so is this the reaction that you want from your comedy audiences as well y-
0: yeah that was the idea with that play it was all about um uh, y- you know not being afraid to have lots of um realistic nuances in terms of what the characters were saying, lots of little kind of backwards and forwards, kind of what's and why's and what do you means and not hearing each other, lots of little to try and uh, have that natural sense of, of dialogue. So but the, but the problem was that that takes up a lot of time. But uh, but actually, yeah, you can you can still, you know, convey characters and motivations through those little things. But uh, I suppose the stuff I'm doing now, A lot of these monologues are really kind of Quite, quite wordy descriptions of day-to-day life with lots of ridiculous kind of language. But um, I still tr- try to communicate those, I suppose, or to make them sound as natural as possible, even though they're saying and describing completely ridiculous things using a lot of flowery vocabulary. But um, I think I have moved on from that whole kind of playwriting use of language uh, that, that I used to go... For me, that's if I have to write something serious, I start going into that mode of, you know, trying to be hyper re- realistic but for the for the kind of character comedy stuff i think it's it's um, you can be less accurate it doesn't have to be so realistic but i do think i do like to try and keep as much realism in it as possible yeah
1: and also in your analysis of um, the royal court young writers program uh, you said that you write to understand your society and its humorous implications so to what extent has performing Comedy so far helped you understand your society, and do you feel that it's changed anything about you as a person?
0: Well, I, 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 did, I wrote that when I was eighteen. Those words, and it's a bit hearing that now. It's a bit hammy. I mean, I don't really know quite what I meant by that. But um, I think you, you obviously you write um, in in response to your own understanding of society. But I mean. <laughs> Depends what you mean by society. I think the other thing I said there was about you know its humorous implications. And so what I'd say now is that I think that um, having a sense of humour about um, everything is is very helpful and uh, a source of uh, power for a lot of people. And it's an, I think it's an important thing to keep hold of, especially when uh, in the face of you know challenges and if you can't have a sense of humour, or if you if you've lost contact with it, then you've You've become, you're too inside yourself, I think. You've lost your presence at that point. And uh, whatever you're dealing with will will be much harder.
1: You also said that you're focused on maintaining a sense of naturalism. So do you feel that, that naturalism is the best way in order to bring out the humorous implications of people's life and society?
0: I personally find the natural kind of nuances or whatever you want to call them or having a commitment to a kind of realism, say like in an, an oil painting or something. The thing that makes it look so real does have some value in it. I think um, if you can make whatever you're, if you can dress whatever character or uh, joke you're making as realistically as possible, then it's a useful aesthetic and I think it can help people connect with it more and it can also, it can also brings out lots of other hidden Pockets of comedy, I think, or of pockets of um, tragedy or whatever. It, I think it just, it places things. Just like, I mean, just take The Office, for instance. I mean, I know there are lots of things that The Office copied, but there's something in its um, dedication to reality and all its little uh, details that makes it so um, enjoyable and so funny. Like, for me, way more than anything else since, really. It's, it's, it still exists in its own place. And that's, that's, that's what I, I've always been obsessed with that ever since I saw that thing.
1: And before you went into comedy, you were in music. And you worked with Marina and the Diamonds, Lionel Del Rey, Scissor Sisters. So do you feel that uh, working on rhythms, beats and, and lyrics has helped in writing and performing comedy?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I was doing the whole, the whole kind of comedy thing long before music. But of course, I hadn't done anything with it yet. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, definitely, as I said before, it's... it's um, for me, it's all just about having good a good ear. I've just got a good ear. I don't really have anything else. I'm just good at um, observing the world via the ears, whether it's um, musically or audibly, tonally. And um, I've got a, I, I've always had a good ear for replicating what I hear um, in my own way. And I think that's what I did with with the whole music thing. And um, uh, that was that was a, a yeah a very influential experience. And without that two years in music i would never have uh, gone back into this now because it was it was through that experience of a of a very very strange industry which is almost a crystal version of all the other kind of industries by which a creative person you know goes um, has to go through um and uh so i, I you know I, I got a kind of good taster of um uh, learning the hard way from it because um uh I was there at a time of great change for EMI Publishing, which was eventually shut down, and um, I lost a lot of good men on the way there, and had to kind of um, walk away from it all. And uh, but the, the truth is that it wasn't really um, um, it wasn't really my uh, vocation in the same way. I, I kind of it was something I really wanted to do, and and uh, and had trained myself to do on a computer using a. A software program. I didn't play any instruments. I didn't really use any of the the professional programs with which to make the music. Uh, so I was doing it all on Fruity Loops, which is a really basic program. And I kind of felt very much like I was winging it the whole way. Uh, and so when they did send Lana Del Rey around to my bedroom, um, it was a kind of hilarious <laughs> situation, uh, which I had, had no idea how to, to grapple. And, um, you know, She was sitting on my floor, singing into a microphone that I don't even think was properly connected to the computer, producing some of the most (laughs) um, kind of stuttering, rumpled vocals that I've I've, I've ever heard. And then I slapped these over one of my other tracks that I'd already made, got her to sing my lyrics. And it was a bit of a disaster, really. And then we said, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll hook up next week. It never happened, of course. It was never going to happen. And and it was that point I realized I wasn't really... um, I wasn't really trained for this and I wasn't born to be doing this it, it was kind of like w- they were seeing if it was going to fall into place for me and I don't think it I don't think it did whereas with, with comedy or I say comedy but with all this, this um, writing and performing characters and that kind of thing that's all as I said it's something I've been doing since I was a child and it's, I do feel like I have a, a basis there I did a drama degree for it and playwriting it's um, I have that kind of uh, uh, that backup. Uh, knowledge-wise, that I just simply didn't have in music. I mean, um, and so I, I have a good ear, and I was able to do that too. But um, ultimately, I didn't have the kind of theoretical um, or spiritual ex- uh, background to cope with it on a professional level. Yeah. And then there was the Marina and the Diamonds. Yes, Sister Sisters. They they were the kind of remixes. I was given the files for um, by them and asked to do a remix. I mean, there was the Marina and the Diamond remix that I did, which uh, yeah, actually got me. Pretty much recognized in the music industry because I did this remix, thanks to a guy called Carl Howard, who was my manager at the time, who I kind of met on MySpace, and uh, that did very well. And um, it was in Enemy; it kind of got to kind of number one in Enemy at that point. Then I went with um, EMI Publishing, and then I got kind of a few other remixes, like Sister Sisters, and a few other c- quite cool people like Grace Jones. They got me to remix; they gave me all their vocals, and I got to mix mix them up and play with them. Uh, but uh, I met Marina Diamaz on the tube, but it had nothing to do with the music. But she was like, "Hey, you did the remix." And I was like, "Yes, thanks, I did." And uh, and as with the Scissor Sisters, they really liked it, but not many people really heard about it. I mean, it it took a lot out of me making that that thing. It was eight minutes long or something. I don't know. And you know, I got a few hundred thousand views on the internet, but um, nobody knew whom it was by because nobody knew who I was. And I don't think anybody really does still know who the atoms of my children are, apart from maybe a small group of people uh and another th- funny th- story is that we um as the aspirins i was invited to um go and do a a gig in paris and um you know i i, 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 I didn't have any bandmates so i kind of forged this band using my sister and my friend tom and my other friend tom and um got them to together to try and put on this show in Paris as a band and uh, in front of 400 people as the headline act above a band called Rock and Roll, who were the <laughs> big indie band in France at the time. And uh, we had no idea what we were doing. It was absolutely cringeworthingly embarrassing. And uh, I was there kind of half miming on this tiny little keyboard, an actual computer keyboard. And at one point, muted the entire show in front of everybody, still dancing like a kind of old man wearing a shirt. And I just had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but we got paid and we went to a hotel and everything. Um, but From that point, I never did a live gig after that, but it was a bit. It was a kind of <laughs> again, it was kind of like musically, I had no idea what I was doing, but I, but I kind of walked into this world um, uh, of being a musician etc, and being a producer, and you're very quickly told, oh, you're a producer, you can work with this guy, you can do this, you can do that, but you are just a guy in his room making beats, and it's, yeah, it's, um, there are limitations, and not everybody, very few people can cut the mustard, a lot of people drop like flies in music, and when they cut you in music, you get cut, and that's it, you know, you can be flying really high, and then just get shot down, and, um, and that's why I did my A&R character, who was a response to that because the the, i didn't actually know anybody directly like him but it was he almost there was a spirit within the music industry that i did did find really funny and just quite clueless and the whole thing did seem totally and utterly random in terms of uh you know who was signed the fact that i was signed you know given money to make music and and um there's lots of you know money and things like that flowing around And it just seemed totally and utterly random who got picked. So this character I made called Eric Swineblade became an R man, which became my most popular YouTube video within a couple of months of going up back, you know, last year, which set the whole thing off. And uh, yeah, he was um, uh, supposed to be the embodiment of that clueless, um, smooth talking, uh, think tanky kind of uh, personality that um, probably runs the industry. but I turned him into the A&R man, who shouldn't, the A&R man shouldn't really take the blame, really. I mean, um, you know, they're kind of the talent scouts, really. But the power they're given is is colossal. And a lot of them, you know, just hit it really hard. They love their Red Bull. And uh, they do all, they all, um, they know how to have a good time. But they are kind of like mini rock stars. And they just don't make any music. But yeah, I, th- I think it's very ripe. I think it's very, very ripe for for more comedy i think
1: would you say that there are quite a lot of similarities between the music industry and the comedy industry
0: well i think there are similarities between all of the artistic industries they all have similar kind of hoops to jump through and systems and uh, the same kind of buzz factor and hype factor and um it's very easy to to do well and it's also very easy to get cut out of all of them you know um, but I think structurally comedy is much smaller once you once you get into in, once you essentially i mean the equivalent of being signed whatever that is in comedy the world is a lot smaller whereas when you get signed in music you're very disposable there's always some other guy you who, can who's making music exactly like you whereas in comedy if you have a more unique voice then you can be a rarer commodity and i I do think um there's a bit more power with the artists in comedy and I think it's a much healthier in fact I think it's the by far the as far as i can tell by far the nicest one to be in although who knows I, I might be eating my words in a few years but i think uh music's pretty vicious i think i think that's the difference it's bigger there's way more money at stake there's loads of people who are much better than you and in, 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 i think in comedy you're either funny or you're not funny in music you're, your music's interesting is it relevant you know um is it, can you sing over it's all this kind of vari- you know variables that you don't have in comedy it's like are you fu- are you funny are i are you funny in a different way it's it's a it's um a little bit more black and white
1: well speaking of the A&R guy your youtube channel has had hundreds of thousands of hits and you perform a lot of that in your room
0: well i was uh originally doing just audio on the internet on myspace and stuff but i, I for me i just i i worked on RueTube, the program for eight months after my music career kind of ran out of cash. I had to get a job and, uh, and I worked at YouTube, and, and uh, that was um, that was really a real eye opener in terms of, you know, the huge audience you could get if you just um, visualized whatever the hell you were doing. And, and for me, audio was there was no there was no way for me to get an audience on MySpace anymore. I mean, MySpace was dead. There was no place for me to go to get an audience as a comedian on the Internet, apart from maybe SoundCloud. But even then, how are you going to do that? Uh, without without a lot of work, and what I realised is it's easier on YouTube to get um, an audience, you know. Um, and so I just filmed myself doing the audio stuff. That's all I did. And at first it was just a, it really was just a camera pointed at me as I recorded an audio sketch, and to an extent it still is. But at least now I dress up and stuff, and I'm tr- and hopefully going to get a radio mic and just lose that setting altogether of the of my bedroom. Um, but uh, I I do like that setup. Of just the, my you know the white wall of my bedroom because it is a stripped down version of what I'm doing and and it and it is ultimately filming me uh, being a voice artist which is kind of primarily what I am I mean I every, everything comes from this uh, range of voices that I've developed and um, you know which is my most important thing to me uh, it's it's where all the characters come from I don't go I want to do this character it's like I have a voice and um, you know that voice sounds like a character when i hear someone like that you know it's it's somebody's i can kind of see the bloke already you know it's, it, it um it says a lot about someone just from the way they they talk you know do you know what i mean <laughs> that's the thing it's like i can see the guy and i suppose it's an element he's an element of myself but um it's um it's really it's that's that's um, that's where they come from that's how that's connected to the this, the um the simplicity of the room but no it wasn't a conscious decision and it doesn't really have nothing to do with realism really
1: but obviously for youtube it's all pre-recorded so do you prefer performing in a pre-recorded style or um do you prefer live
0: i prefer them both well i think i i like them both for different reasons but um, recorded for me is um a little bit more exciting and interesting in terms of what i'm doing because i have so much more control over what i'm saying how i'm saying it how i'm delivering it I'm just delivering it via post rather than making a call. That's the kind of difference. And of course, when it, this, the kind of amount of adrenaline involved going live is um, uh, takes a, a lot of experience to really master. And it's um, you know it's something you can only really learn in the field doing it. And I've only been doing it for a year, and I haven't. It's not like I've been performing every week. The gigs have been quite sporadic. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure there'll come a point where um i get as much out of it as i do from recorded because i'll be able to give myself to the audience um, you know at my very best um but it's it's a learning curve definitely a learning curve but for you know for now i'm trying to i'm trying to take what i do recorded and and give it to people live as best i can
1: what advice would you give to people who are thinking of trying out comedy and pre-recorded comedy on on youtube
0: uh, the advice I would give to people is um, I think if you're already doing it, then you don't need any advice. I think the, the, the advice a lot of people need to take is to actually to just do do it and um, get over that mental block of uh, being judged. Um, because if you actually go on YouTube and really, really look, everything's on there, as I did when I worked at Rootube looking at 8,000 or so videos, you suddenly realize that the standards are so subterranean that... I mean, everybody might as well do it. You know what I mean? There's the, but I think a lot of people are, are too scared to be judged by their friends or by the world or don't think they're good enough. But even if you have a 25% conviction rate that you might actually be even mildly funny, you know, not even that funny, just mildly funny, you think you might be mildly... You should you should probably do it because you'll get something out of it for being mildly funny because the, the standards are just so ridiculously low everywhere so <laughs> you might as well just do it and uh that's the thing it's kind of like um yeah life is way too short to uh to not to not uh try those or follow those impulses that you have
1: how long does it usually take you to work on and record a video uh
0: well sometimes i do the improvised ones that that you know that that um like with the Antoine guy, his rants are all improvised. So I'd, I'll kind of go on for a, an hour, just just kind of ranting. And a lot of it's rubbish. You know, it's just absolutely just rubbish. It's embarrassing. But then I cut out. But then, you know, out of an hour, you get say about two and a half minutes of actually quite, quite good stuff. So it's about being a good judge of your material at that point. But um, so if it's an improvisation, I will go on for half an hour, 45 minutes and then I'll cut out all of this weird stuff and then you get actually, you get something that you would have probably written if you'd sat down. So you probably should probably just sit down and write it, but I, I don't like doing that. Uh, and then, um, so yeah, otherwise and if I write something, I have an idea, I have a character, I just simply sit down, write it, like the Banker one took me about you know five minutes to write, and then you take it up, put it, put it, up, put it up behind the mic, read it off, again, it takes about 45 minutes to record it, but you um, you do it a lot. It's a lot more efficient because you, you've got it in front of you. you've got the, the ideas They all you have to do is just perform it as best you can. So it's about altogether to make the videos and write them is about two hours and then to edit it if it's three characters like this Dog dogman three thing I've done it's taken me about four days of editing because it's it's such a complicated process of editing three characters over each other that were all recorded separately. Uh, but if it's just one character, you can take you know, about four hours.
1: And your main job is as a professional voiceover. So do you find that working on all of these comedy characters, I guess, on the side, helps inform the way that you do your voiceovers?
0: I think it probably does. I, well, I mean, I know it does. I, mean, I got into voiceover via these, displaying the fact that I could do these various voices. Um, and um, even with my kind of straight-talking advert voice, from my perspective, it's, it's me doing an impression of somebody doing a voiceover. For an advert, but actually, it kind of works because voiceover exists in that strange hyper-reality where you can be impersonating somebody doing an ad, and at the same time be a genuine voiceover. So even a, even so in my mind, it was always an impression of actually doing a voiceover. It's actually <laughs> it works as one, functions in exactly the same way, and uh, I think that's quite interesting actually. Uh, but yeah, that's my that's my I consider that to be my. My main job, and I really, you know, uh, it's something I take very seriously, and feel, and uh, you know, have always wanted to do.
1: Why did you always want to be a voiceover?
0: I because I get so much um, enjoyment from recording myself into a mic and hearing it, and also sounding like something with that degree of authenticity and being being that convincing with it. And so, to do a voiceover, um, uh, to do a serious voiceover for me is. is I still, yeah, it still gives me kind of a massive rush, and I, I, um, it's, uh, it's something I've been doing my whole life, and so it's, it's, um, it feels very natural, and it feels like I'm actually doing what I was put here to do, in that to that extent. Even though I'm not, probably not helping anybody at all, apart from corporations, um, you know, somebody's got to do it. So there you go.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comics?
0: Tips or advice for aspiring comics? Well, it's a privilege to actually be asked that question. Uh, Tips or advice, I think, would be to just do one thing every day towards whatever it is you're trying to create. You don't have to um, actually make anything every day, but just do one thing that contributes towards it. And remember that, you know, um, build a better matchbox and the world will come to you. You don't have to. Um, you don't really have to do much. You just have to produce something of, of, of better quality, and people will, will people will come to you. You know, it's um, you've got to believe in it to that extent, and, and then put it just just push it out there, and people will get a sniff of it. You know, again, you don't have to be don't have to be very good. Just be mildly funny.
1: And why the name Damien Slash?
0: Well, my real name is Daniel Stathis Barker because I was baptised in Greece. Not religious, but I was baptised there. And so I had this DS, Barker thing going on. And then when I was about 14 or 15, I was recording myself on a black and white webcam. And I was like, um, I just said, um, uh, this is Michael Forward, a.k.a. Damien Slash. A.k.a. it was like, it was supposed to be like a forward slash. But actually I like it because it's, um, it's Damien Slash in a... It's the word slash, but it could also be like a forward slash and then another character as if he can be anybody because he's a Damien forward slash. Do you know what I mean? That's the idea behind it. Um, but I also think it's got a nice little ring to it. It kind of rolls off the tongue and it's DS. When I'm DS, Daniel Stuthers, so there you go. That's the planning behind it. There's nothing else. It's a bit annoying having a, this pseudonym though because um, you know everyone's like, hey, Damien. If they, if they get a compliment, it's like it's always for Damien. This, this guy I've created, it's not for me. That's really annoying. I wish it was like, I love you, Daniel, rather than, oh, this guy Damien's great. And um, everybody everybody calls me it. So it's got, I haven't quite identified with the name yet. I think when that happens, I will become who I was born to be, but that hasn't happened yet.
1: And you studied drama, theatre, film, and television at Bristol University. So do you have any tips or advice for students?
0: Well, my advice would be. Uh, again, it's a privilege to be asked that kind of question. I feel flattered that you'd ask me that kind of question. I would say, uh, if you haven't started already, start experimenting with all that time you have on messing around on your own. If you have a creative impulse, um, and as a student, I'd say, uh, it, uh it's a good idea to put the work in and, and, and learn something or at least learn how to learn because, uh, that, that's, that's what you're there for. And, uh, it becomes very useful afterwards and I'm really actually very very grateful for the 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 strange things I did learn during that course uh, despite the fact that at the time I absolutely loathed some of the things I had to do but now I look back at him I think that was amazing you know waving sticks around doing avant-garde theatre was actually uh, has forged a great deal of um, what I draw from today and that there are some there are always some lessons uh, that your course will teach that are actually true to uh, w- w- what you want to do later on. And as I said, it's, it's having that theoretical um, foundation in what it is you love doing that's so so powerful and so useful. And that's what I didn't have in music, but I did have in, in, in comedy, thanks to doing that, that course, uh, or drama, whatever you want to call it. It's, uh, it's, an, it's an empowering thing. It's a, it's, we're very lucky to, to be able to go into higher education you know, most people in the world don't get that, and there also are these societies and stuff like that that give you a kind of means to, um, you know, work together in teams and stuff. But uh, I would say that um, get together with your friends and use that manpower that's that's there, because nobody's working. I mean, the majority of people aren't. I mean, some students do work. I understand that, but a lot of they've still got a lot of free time on their hands because they've got student loans. So you might as well use that manpower to get together and and make something great.